Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Welcome to Filthy Shambles, Season 3, Episode 3. Adam, welcome, mate. How you doing? I'm not bad, mate. Yourself, how are you? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm okay. It's been um, it's been quite a, an emotional week, just in terms of I recorded a, a podcast with Ross, who is the, the Spurs Simpsons Twitter guy. Um, and it was, uh, it was about mental health, so it was uh, off-topic, but... When is mental health really off topic? Do you know what I mean? It's something that should be on topic all of the time. Um, and we recorded a podcast, which uh, um, anyone listening to this, if you've not heard it, it's just the previous episode, basically. Um, and then today I woke up um, to uh, Deli Ali being interviewed on The Overlap uh, by Gary Neville. Um, being incredibly honest and brave about the problems that he's had we all knew but some of us some of us, some of us consider that there might be uh, issues at hand that go beyond just football and Delhi was very open about speaking about his childhood and his upbringing his family problems um and it was a a, a, a difficult watch and at the same time quite an inspiring um uh, watch i mean did you have you managed to, to catch it uh, at all yeah, I watched it all this morning again, first thing, um, when, it, when it sort of came up on my timeline. It's one of those things that, it's funny, with like a 40-minute video, with we're, we're so attuned to, you know, giving something two or three minutes and then switching off because our, our brains have been so fried that we need small, uh, consumable, bite-sized bits. But yeah. it's one of those things that you start watching and I, I all of a sudden it was 40 minutes in and I've watched the whole thing. Yeah, man, I love the I love the kid. I love the kid. I mean, he's, he's a young man, isn't he? I mean, I I love the guy as a footballer. Um, I never, you know, I, I'm as as people that know me, whether it's in real life or, or on this podcast, I'm overly protective about Tottenham. I'm overly protective about the way that we we should treat footballers generally. You know, and and I know it it goes against the fandom element of of the experience because there's there's always been scapegoats there's always been people despising footballers and we jokingly do it right i fucking hate that player like get rid of him he shit and it's this kind of kind of visceral raw energy of of disdain that you have for these people but it's almost it's it's almost not quite real because you're not you're not saying you hate the person as a person because you don't know him you hate the representation that he has wearing our colours and playing for the football club, but often, it, often those things bleed into each, other, into each other in a way that sees people have very little empathy and compassion and understanding, and they see it as a weakness, you know. And and you, and you see it with the way Eric Dyer is, is is being treated, and again, this is like a social media thing, the way that people speak of him. No one's going to dispute that the best thing for his career would not be to move on, even though we have been surprised many times before in the past. But, you know, to bring it back to Delhi, the criticism that he got 
you know, uh, from within the club, I guess, under Mourinho, and then the way the narrative was uh, just the narrative around him being lazy and, and the rest of it. You know, people had no time, perhaps. Um, and how would you how would you know, right? How do we know about anybody's mental health? You know, behind the scenes, like you you don't know. You literally don't know. It could be the happiest person in the world, and it can also be absolutely brilliant at football and have and and not lost any form whatsoever, and still have problems behind closed doors. We don't know. But when someone reaches out in this way, and then talks so openly about it, um, you, you can only commend them for, 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 for what they're doing and I think it's an incredibly important interview because this doesn't happen in football it doesn't happen often yeah, I, I don't um, think I had a question mate I think I'm just opening it up <laughs> opening it up I'm for how, how you feel worry. about it yeah you should know me by now yeah, we, we've uh, we've been we've done this enough that I, I kind of know when you're tailing off. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting because um, the the dire documentary that came out this week, I think, also touches upon certain things. Um, yeah, from a, from a standpoint of you know his mental stability and things like that, and it it you know some of the comments that you see around it are saying you know we can't criticize these people because we don't know what they're going through and. I think, as always, there's one of these these lines that, you know, I, I'd be, I could hardly say that I, I'm not very critical of footballers on the pitch. And I, I think that football is always going to have that tribal element where people are going to criticise players for how they play, which I think is, you know, I, I would hope, will be perfectly reasonable forever because um, that's, that's what we love to do. It's what, why we talk about it, you know, who played well, who didn't play bad, who didn't yeah. play well and things like that. But obviously, I think with the... The advancement of social media, you can see how easily it strays into stuff that's so obviously unacceptable. And I would hope that whenever we've done this on this show or we've done this on on socials, that we don't stray from what's acceptable in, into what isn't. Um, and, and I, you know, finding that balance is is obviously very difficult for for, for everyone in, in the terms of. We don't know what these these players are going through, and I, I guess you know even, even if someone does have a bad game, maybe they're, they're, we, you never really know what's behind it. And I don't know. Does it make me reassess how I try and analyze players' performances? I, I don't know because I I don't know if I'm if I have ever crossed the line. But I suppose it's one of those things that maybe I will think before I type or think before I say, um, just in case you don't know what the backstory is with someone. I suppose. Yeah, I mean, look, it's, it's impossible to, it really is impossible to, to manage. And we, we will, most of us will we'll fall back into those tropes again, right? Where we're going to slag off a player. Like the way people slag off Dyer and, 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 and a certain Viking who is probably on his way out and, and other players across the years. It's, it's, I'm not saying don't do that. People are still going to do that. It's just, there's almost a level where people just, they go above and beyond, well, they go beyond where they should be with these type of conversations we're not saying don't be critical we're not saying don't be honest we're not saying don't look at a footballer and 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 just openly talk about how he's just detrimental to the the, the, the squad or the team or you know he's just not good enough we, we need to be looking elsewhere that's, that's fine they're normal conversations but it's almost this kind of badge of honor people kind of smack onto their chest and slap it with with, with pride around 
around look at how much i don't fucking care about 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 these players i don't care he's rich he's a millionaire he's he should be happy with what he's got he should he should man up and get on with it and it's just it's just that repeated conversation you know that happens whether it's football or or, or not where people are incredibly dismissive about just about how humans are do you know what i mean we're we're quite fragile you know some people not so much um and just because you haven't experienced anything and just because you haven't been in a position where perhaps you have had you, you you've had problems across your life that you that you've not been able to you've not been able to to manage and understand and process you know it doesn't mean that the next person hasn't gone through exactly that um, I know Delhi was almost pushed into having to do this quickly um, because of the, the the scum that is the tabloid newspapers that just go after people for headlines and 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 that says a lot about our our society as well because people are buying these these rags as well. So you know it's as as complicit to how much damage these these journalists, uh, barely journalists, uh, do. You know, we also have a society that that's very reactive to headlines. I've already seen some of the headlines, with the best intentions. You know, it's the angle that people are coming from. You know, they go straight to the the the, the, the sexual abuse, for example, because that that they know that will grab people's attention. Whereas I think the 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 story here should be about about mental health and about Delhi. You know, approaching it. You know, he's, he's such a level-headed guy, and I remember. Uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll stop in a moment, mate, because because it, I'm just there's all these trains of thoughts I'm, I'm having around some of the other narratives around him back back in the day. The people, I don't think people realise when they actually post and tweet and blog things like this. You know, you know, calling him a gangster. Or, you know, looking 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 at the way he dresses, and it's and I'm I'm reading these things at the time. I remember thinking. You're a 45 year old man criticizing how like a 20 something looks and dresses. Like, how relevant is this to to anything? You know, is it the color of his skin that bothers you? Is it the fact that he's young and successful that bothers you? Like, what is it exactly that um, you know that, that has you feeling the way that you do about these these people who are representing our football club? And if there's one player who's who's the poster boy of what Pochettino brought to Spurs, it was Delhi. This kind of wild, um, uh, kind of spirited uh, energy. You know, this, I don't give a fuck about any of you, you lot. You, do you know what I mean? The Spurs had that at the time. We were a swaggering... Uh, football side, we were beautiful to watch. We had players who played with pride and and, and played with with high octane quality. Um, and he fell off, right? You, 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 I, I'm not the type of person that can switch off from that. You know, as, as painful as it was to see him fall off, as painful as it was to understand that he had to move on. You know, kind of suspected something was going on. You know, in the background, it was quite obvious to some of us, and it's that part of it that I hope people are able to educate themselves with. Do you know what I mean? Just, mm-hmm. just appreciate. In that moment, it's easier to say, "Well, what is actually going on here? What is actually going on?" And you don't have to have this big opinion or this this big. You don't have to make it about yourself and tweet something like, 
Like, it's disgraceful the way that his career, he had the world at his feet, and it's, you don't need to make these statements. There are there are other players where it's probably easier to do that because you know those players don't give a fucking shit about anything that gets posted. Do you think Steven Gerrard cares about memes of him tripping over? Do you know what I'm saying? Some people are built differently. And I think in, in this case, maybe some of us are able to to know when, you know, when you can look at someone and think that, that guy needs a uh, needs a hand round his, you know, his, his, his shoulders again, um, like he did once upon a time under Poch, and he needs it again. And we all kind of waited for that to happen, and it's, it's now happened. And here we are talking about it, and I think it's important. I think it's an important conversation, and and I I wish Delhi all the best, and whatever that is, I just. In moments like this, you just want the guy to be happy. Do you know what I mean? Doesn't matter I mean, what he does between now and the rest of his career, as long as he's happy and and he's, um, you know, he's just cracking on with what he wants to do, at whatever level that is, then then that that then he's won basically. Yeah, t- two things um, on all of that. Firstly, um, the tabloid stuff I think is really something that I hope gets picked up on this. Um, for the yeah. longer term, quite a lot. I mean, I think he said he's, is he three weeks or six weeks since leaving rehab? And he's basically been railroaded into doing this interview because if he didn't, someone else is going to get yeah. ahead of it. And look, I am far from a mental health expert. I'm in no sort of professional position to say anything apart from just, you know, what you would assume is how this stuff works. But I would assume that having to speak about something like this earlier than you're comfortable with could be a trigger for relapsing into the issues that you have. And I think it's, I I mean, I I may be completely wrong, but it strikes me that the pressure he will have been put under to have to say something to get ahead of the story so that some horrible rag couldn't say it first um, is really quite heartbreaking. And Mm. if if there's one thing that people take from it, I, I really hope it's that, you know, especially with, what we've seen over the weekend with some of the stuff in in, in the red the red tops, yes, um, yeah, just the lack of compassion for people that need help is is so startling when it comes to you know being able to get a story first and worrying about the person second and yeah that that really struck me when he said that that he basically had to do this interview because he um it, someone else would have would have spoken about it on his behalf otherwise and look maybe this interview will be the best thing he ever does and opens up so many avenues for him to help other people and get more help than he needs. But I presume that if you'd ask him on a blank canvas, do you want to do this? He would have said, no, why would I want mm. to tell people about this? Mm. And I think that's really quite tragic. Um, yeah, agreed. And the second part is, and I'm using this example, it's something that I said, but literally anyone could have said this, but in, in March, I think there was something about him leaving Basiktas and being in disarray. And I, I put out like a, a tweet of some sort saying that you know I, I wish the club could help him you know get him back and you know look after him you know, we haven't got a duty of care but you'd like to think that there is an element of he he does feel like one of ours and it's funny I, I had a flick back through some of the responses that I got to that and I'm not blaming anyone for this you know people have their views but there was a lot of oh we're not fucking charity and you know this is the mindset that holds the club back and what the fuck yeah. do you think he's going to do and but it's funny because then when a video comes out of something like this, people jump to believing it so much quicker. Um, and it, it, we, I think we see something fairly similar with 
when there's sexual abuse stuff that gets banded yeah. around. If there's just a tweet about it, then people are hesitant. But if, if there's a video of it, then people just jump to believing it straight away. Yeah. And I found some of the sort of vacuous apologies to Deli Ali on social media today. Like, what did you think was going... Look, m- m- maybe, maybe I'm you know being too critical of people here, but it was very clear to me, or it seemed very clear to me, that this bloke had an issue for quite a while. Um, and it wasn't just, you know, pissing his life away, but... Now people seem to accept it. And I find that whole thing quite confusing that no one gave him the benefit of the doubt beforehand. But now there's video of it. Well, now, now they will be. Yeah, it's the, it's the stereotype, isn't it? Because people just assume that, that footballers are, are these kind of privileged individuals. And therefore, the only, the only reason that their, 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 their life or their form can drop off in as traumatic fashion as, as Delhi's has is because of the party element, because of drugs, because of parties, because of you know, more interested in, in fashion and clothes and whatever else, people don't stop to consider that something else is going on because there's nothing, there's no economy in that on social media, you know, because what, what would you do in that instance? You'd, you'd back off. And I've had private conversations about Delhi Alley with, with mates, not things on social media because I don't think it's appropriate to just make assumptions or guess or, or you know, there was lots of rumours and lots of people seemed to know stories about what was going on and... and it's not our business, but it, but 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 it's it's it is our business to care. I I think I think this this whole thing around duty of care as well, and this kind of like this bravado around we're not a charity, and mate, we the, we're talking about human beings. We're talking about footballers that represent us. It doesn't have to be this kind of clinical transactional experience. Do you know what I mean? You can you can look at someone and you can care for someone, and you can want the club to do something. That, that it isn't often perceived as, as as something that you would expect football clubs to do. You know, to bring him back now, I mean, it would be extraordinary, and I don't think that's going to happen. But imagine if it did. It's, it's it's a benchmark that doesn't really exist in, in, in this way, especially for a club like Spurs, and I kind of appreciate that people want us to be challenging and we've got to be ruthless and sentiment. You know, there's no, there's no room for sentiment and all this. But the impact it has, the statement it makes, is is powerful. So whatever, and I'm sure Everton are doing all their best now with Delhi, and, and I'm sure he'll make the best decision for for his career going forward when that moment comes. Um, I was going to go straight into Eric Dyer from here, but let, let's get let's come back to Eric Dyer momentarily because let, let's let's change the um, let's change the tone of the podcast because we've signed a player. Uh, a young so man. I'm just going to stop you. Just interrupt my my. I need to just run and go charge off my computer because someone's bought me the wrong bloody one. I just uh, just pause it and I'll be back. This is so unprofessional. We'll we'll pause it and we'll be back in a second. My bad. My bad. Right, and we're back. So, uh, Mana Solomon signed. Uh, Mickey Van der Ven supposedly very imminent. Uh, we might even be signing Tapsuba. So that's two centre backs, a winger. And we might not even stop there if you if you persist with the ITK and what what else is being shared online at the minute. Spurs appear to be incredibly active. Is this a positive thing, Adam? Like, are we are we actually backing a new manager and backing him? I, I want to say above and beyond, but to the expectations that are required for him to be able to rebuild. Because I think the first season at Spurs, 
will be topsy-turvy. I don't think it's going to be... Well, we might hit the ground running. I don't really want to make a prediction. But how are you feeling about um, Solomon um, being uh, well, being, a, an, being an opportunity that we took advantage of, which is what an opportunity is? Um, happy with the signing? Happy with the way that we went about signing him? Uh, I don't think I know enough about the way we went about signing him to, to know. I mean, some people seem to be very upset about the process of picking up a player from Shakhtar. Um, and I would be being disingenuous if I suggested that I had any inside track on as That's to how it enough. worked. Um, if, if we've been opportunistic to a point that is devious, then look, it's not great. I suppose other clubs may have done the same thing. But I don't know. I don't feel like there's been that much chat about it and it's one of those things that if Tottenham did something that was actually bad you feel like it would be plastered all over talk sport and the rags as, as quickly as they possibly could to, to dig the knife in so um, I'm going to hope for the best on that one. Uh, from a personal standpoint uh, and this is probably not not particularly good to be this biased towards someone but this is the first Jewish player that Spurs have had since Ronnie Rosenthal who must have left in 96, 97. Mm. So, uh, you know, as a, a practicing Jewish supporter, uh, that means quite a lot to me, actually. It means more than I thought it would do. Um, That's great. And I, it's really nice. Um, it is. And I probably will end up being way too biased towards him <laughs> and not criticize him for any, you know, he, if he was half as good as Paulinho, I'd probably still try and look for all, all of the best things that he did. And oh, what about that good first touch? Or that was a great throw in he took uh, in the second half of, of that game. So um, my objectivity will probably go out the window and I apologize in advance for that. But I think when you see one of your own and you're a very small number overall, it, it kind of resonates a bit more. Um, so, whilst I think he's probably just a Lucas Mora upgrade and mm-hmm. I doubt if he's going to be someone that pulls up so many trees at Tottenham that he uh, is sort of club statue worthy level mm-hmm. um, I think it's really cool that there's yeah. uh, one of my own playing for Spurs and yeah that's Sorry, it get, mate get a, bit, get a bit personal but no uh, but, but that that's the that's what people need to that's what supporters need to tap into more often especially in this day and age where there's so much focus on the way the club is being managed and that they are conversations that are required and needed and and, 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 and the rest of it is, I'm not saying ignore all the politics, unfortunately, they're undeniable. Um, but don't forget about all the good stuff and you don't need to be hyper-analytical about these signings either. I, I mean, obviously, I've seen people already dismiss it, you know, because he's free. Because it's you know it's not someone who's cost a, 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 a packet. Um, I've seen people talk about the data. People have just people like again with most things. Unfortunately, there's this kind of finality with the statements being made. It's again, it's not sexy to say let's let's wait and see. Don't know, don't know what's going to happen because that isn't really. It's just it's not an answer, right? It's it doesn't ignite a conversation and a, dis- and a discussion where you've got two sides facing off to, to, to each other. Um, you know, with me, I don't know about our scouting. I don't trust our scouting. I know we're trying to do things differently. So it's fair, again, it's fair enough. Maybe we're doing things right now. And yes, we're looking at data as a football club, uh, but I'm sure that, that that's also combined by what the player is capable of doing. And the rest of it, it's not just up to the player himself and what he does at Spurs, but the manager, the coaching, the collective, 
synergy the team output there's all these variables and I think the problem with Spurs in the last four years is that we've had very good footballers at Tottenham who have done nothing because of everything else that's going on and fair enough one or two might might have been able to do a lot better in terms of personal responsibility but you've got to factor in all the other bullshit that comes with what it's been uh, like to, to follow Spurs for the last few few seasons it's been a mess so I'm all, I'm up for having us uh, signing uh, young talent. He's he's done a few bits for Fulham, scored a few tasty goals. So yeah, I'm, I'm with you, mate. I'm 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 happy to see how the how the lad gets on. No expectations. Do you know Do you know what I'm saying? Just let Spurs write the narrative for me, rather than me assume the direction we're going to take with individuals or as a team. Um, it's interesting with the centre backs, right? We need centre backs, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure that most of us have not seen Van der Ven play football, and maybe maybe a few few of us have seen Tapsoba play um, a few games, but we're not experts in these players, and it's the same thing again, right? You you just got to put your faith into it. I mean, I'm not saying you can't be. I mean, I'm hyped for both of these guys, the same way I was hyped for Jan. You know, and Toby, Toby, we we knew more about him because of where he played. Uh, Jan, maybe a little bit less, unless you follow, follow the international football and etc. 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 But a lot of it is just faith, right? Um, Spurs need two centre backs, though. Would you? Would you? Are you expecting the two to come in? And would you be incredibly surprised if that happened, considering our form for 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 these type of uh, transfer shenanigans? Would I be surprised if they bought? Both. Both. Um, I don't... Hmm, that's a good question. Oh, dramatic pause. I wasn't expecting that. I'm just trying to work out sort of how I'd quantify surprise in this state. You know, when you're linked with players, I guess you... The weird thing about transfers, right, is that because of this, you know, Romano and social media and, and everything, because everything happens in so many stages that plays in front of you, in my mind, we've signed Van de Ven already, and I'm looking forward to the next transfer. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> because because... You get your, like when when James Madison, when that announcement came through, we'd known for 48 hours or whatever that he was going to sign, didn't we? Because you'd had yes. all the ITKs. So yeah, yeah. You kind of the announcement isn't the thing that triggers the signing anymore in your brain, um, because you you rationalised it already. So with the way these ITKs prattle on. I've kind of rationalised that, you know, Van der Ven's played 50 games for Spurs already and I'm thinking about the next one. So I'm kind of target tap sober on the assumption that Van der Ven signed already and none of them have even, you know, miles away by the sounds of things. It's a, it's a weird one. Um, People are very confident that that, that, that that Mickey's definitely, it's it, it Spurs have got everything, all the paperwork, everything's done. It's just pen to, pen to paper. Uh, are they holding out? Are they holding out because they're trying to get a better deal for Tapsuba? We, again, we don't know. Lots of assumptions being made. That's fine. Um, I think it'd be a great statement for Spurs uh, to bring in two new defenders. I think I know we've got no European football. I appreciate that. I know we need to sell players, and, and I'm sure we're going to do that once we sign their replacements of sorts. Um, even though they're not really replacements, are they? They're just complete upgrades. Um, I, I I think that the Spurs need. I feel like Ange needs 
the, the tools in the toolbox from the start rather than having to put in orders and wait for delivery later down the line. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if you start off, because you've got Romero at the back, it's a fantastic player. Do you know what I'm saying? Rolls Royce player, but often maybe plays like there's a joy rider at the wheels, but he he needs quality around him. And I, I don't think Spurs should fuck about. I think Spurs should go out there and get and get everything done, and they appear to be doing that um, at the minute. I mean, who else would you... Let's say, you know, we brought in a winger. Um, we bring in two centre-backs. Good transfer window? Or do you think it has to... It, we need more added in? Ignoring uh, certain Harry Kane and that particular saga and what might ha- happen off the back of whatever decision is made this summer. What else do Spurs need imminently? I would like another frontline winger, I think. Okay. Um, because I think if you're going to play 4-2-3-1, you know, maybe that's a player that can also play inside or, or up front. I think I think going in with basic, what we've got Kane, Son, Richarlison, Kulisevsky and Solomon... That feels a bit light to me. Um, and Brian Keogh is on his way out, you, uh, I, I would assume, right? R- Making assumptions here, yeah. R- respectfully, Brian Gill is not a player that I'm going to pin any any hopes on. I don't yeah. think he, I don't okay. think he's up to it at this level. I mean, maybe people might disagree, but and look, maybe he'll maybe he'll um, he'll be the one that comes in and, and does play and, and fair play to him if he does. Um, I think if they can upgrade on Hoiberg, that would be uh, I'd be very happy with that. Um, there's a lot of talk about Conor Gallagher at the moment, isn't there? Who, to all accounts, Postacoglu is a big fan of. And mm-hmm. I think that sort of energy gets you a bit younger. It's a homegrown player. And I think at Crystal Palace, he looked a really good player. It's hard to judge, yeah. judge any Chelsea yeah. player off their output from last year because they were such yeah. a dumpster fire. Um, in the same yeah, way yeah, as we he, were, you know. He was uh, very impressive at, at Palace. Yeah, and I'm, I'm trying not to judge too many Spurs players off of what they showed last year because it was such a, a train wreck that I think it's difficult to, to get a, a full gauge on what they were like. So Gallagher's a kind of player that I think could be could be of interest. Um, so I think if we're going to say they're going to sign two, you know, if, if we're saying that two frontline centre-halves are coming in, I think one more forward uh, who can play out wide and one more midfielder would make it a really good sort of statement window that says, all right, mm. we're, we're serious about this Postacoglu and we're going to give you every chance because if you're asking him to sort of have the Dyers and Sanchez's and Hoybergs and uh, as sort of your first change players, um, unfortunately injuries happen on a far too regular basis and yep. it strikes me that if you're serious, then you try and wash, wash that stench off from last year a little bit and try and give the, the, the new guy as much as you possibly can. Exactly right, and I, and I think I think rotation is important, even if we are in just the Premier League and and, and two domestic cup competitions. It, it, injuries do happen, generally speaking. Players drop out in and out of form occasionally as well. Um, so you kind of need cover, you kind of need depth, but you need it to be you need it to be fairly. You need to solidify the squad. You know, you you need to have options that are genuine options and not. Fringe players who who are lost really on the touchline and 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 not looking like they fit in. You know, Sanchez has been linked with a move to Turkey. Um, Hoybier, 
I, I, I want to say Atletico Madrid was was the rumor a few weeks back, and it's kind of persisted, but but nothing's happened yet. Um, I can see a few a few players being moved on. I think I think if you just look at it from a financial perspective as well, I think Spurs will have to do that, especially if we're bringing in uh, new players. Um, shifting away from squad uh, chit chat uh, to managerial press conferences what a breath of fresh air Postacoglu was you know just sitting there answering questions you know bantering back at the the cliched uh, digs at Spurs um, what's your first impressions of uh, or second impressions of him by this point of how he's handling um, the media thus far and answering the questions even though it's just it's just words right at this point you know, we, we're going to wait and see what type of football we're, we're, we're going to be playing based on everything that he's promising us. But so far, so good. Yeah, I think we knew we were getting someone in who would be erudite and interesting to listen to. And I certainly don't think he disappointed in his first press conference and the way in which he talks about issues. Um, I found really quite illustrative. But I, I wonder if, in addition to him being interesting to listen to, I think Harry Redknapp is the last manager, apart from Ryan Mason, um, but you know, not a full-time manager. I think Redknapp's the last full-time manager that we've had who speaks English as a first language, and he left 11 years ago. And that's yeah. absolutely no knock on Villas-Boas and Nuno and Mourinho and Conte. But you know, they are being asked very difficult questions and expected to give full answers to these questions in a second language which is yeah. bloody difficult. You know, I speak yeah. I speak Spanish moderately well and I couldn't even imagine being put in front of a press, you know, to have to answer questions like that where every word is being, you know, read inferentially and, you know, spun and, you know, the chance of... Oh, I miss Pochettino, of course, in, in, in that. Another one that obviously didn't speak English as a first language by any stretch. So mm-hmm. not only um, does Postacoglu speak well, I think the openness we're going to get from having a manager who's used to answering these questions in the in this language um, will just make his press conference, I think, even that bit more interesting. And, and that said, with the utmost respect to the other five guys who have had to try and manage the media in in their you know second, maybe in some sort of third language. It's I completely agree. I mean, first of all, I mean, he he was known for this, right? It was one of the things that that, that people referenced when he was at Celtic. You know, he's he's absolutely brilliant at, at doing doing so, and it's not just managing the media in this kind of superficial way. He he obviously backs and believes in himself to the point where he has been successful in, in what he's he's attempted to do so far in in his career. Spurs obviously a slightly poisoned chalice just based on the ridiculous standards that we... Well, they're not ridiculous standards, but we set high standards for the for the club because we want Spurs to play and perform uh, in the boardroom and on the pitch to a particular level, right? Near the capacity of what we're able to do. But at the same time, we're, we're literally up against these juggernauts of football clubs that have a foundation of experience and success based off the 90s and Sky Sports Top 4. And I know people are thinking, oh, spooky, mate. Why do you keep bringing this up? It's 20 years ago. It's all relevant. It's all relevant because we've spent 20 years chasing and and building and catching up. And now we're arguably underperforming based on what we think we should be doing. But there's still a gap. 
You know, you, you look at the players and the ease that the clubs like Man City and Chelsea are able to sign and spend on on players uh, and, and barely use some of them, you know. And th- these players can be pivotal in a team like Tottenham, potentially. So there's still levels to get to. Um, but now we've got a manager who, who sees it as a challenge, doesn't see it as this consultancy job. He doesn't see it as 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 just this unnecessary expansion to their ego that they want to cut off. You know, Conte was very much... He was very much um, this kind of self-loathing uh, aura about him, right? And, it's, and, and, and I know he does that at, at most clubs he's at. But Spurs are in need of love and they're in need of a new dad. They're in need of something that makes us proud and makes us believe, you know... Even at this point, we haven't seen us play football yet, right? And we won't properly until the season starts. But I'm willing to allow the guy to cook at his own pace. Do you know what I'm saying? Whereas with Mourinho and Conte, you almost thought, well, you should know what you're fucking doing because you've got this CV. You've got this output in the Premier League already. You should crack on. But neither of them wanted to associate themselves to Tottenham. And and, and that's true to be Spurs. And I think... Postacoglu's already started, uh, and that's all I wanted, mate. I think there's a massive hole in our hearts in, in terms of uh, in terms of identity, and it's going to take a while for us to get back to what we expect Spurs to be. But I, I like what I've seen so far, and I always knew I would because I'm soppy. So uh, thank you, uh, Postacoglu. Uh, don't lose to West Ham in pre-season is all I ask for. Um, I want to just let let's just dance around Harry Kane because he's back at back at Hotspur Way along with all the other international players who have returned. Uh, people are obviously doing the same over reading of his um, uh, of his uh, kind of uh, mannerisms walking back into the office uh, early morning. Um, he's he's cracking on with training, having a few medical checks. The rumours of Bayern Munich persist. The discuss- I mean, how do you feel about the, the, the whole discussion point? He's like 47 goals away from equaling or beating uh, Alan Shearer's record. Would he genuinely look to leave England now with, with, with that tally within his sights? Because that's, that's two seasons, right? It's next season, scores 30 in the league, and then the following season, he's got the record. Um. Yeah, and I th- 47 goals in two years would be a heck of an effort, in fairness. Um, I, okay. I, think, I think we've normalised ourselves to thinking that, you know, 25 goals. But 30 is the, is it the best he's ever got or the second best he's ever got? Yeah, I think he's done it twice, I want to I wanna say. I should know Fine. this really. But... I mean, I, I'm sure, for me, it's, it's a three-season thing, you know, with injuries. and But anyway, I mean, that that's generally pedantic and, and by the by. Hmm. Um, but... I mean, I, the only reason I can think he'd want to go abroad is that he wouldn't want to play against, not play against Spurs, but affect his Tottenham legacy. And I think that probably is something that does mean a lot to him because if it didn't, he could have sacked it off years ago um, and he could have found a way out. He could have dug his heels in much more a couple of years ago. Um, even last year, I'm sure the teams would have been snooping around. Um, I find this Kane story frighteningly boring at this stage and whatever what what's going to happen is going to happen um my hunch is that nothing will happen this summer 
and Spurs have a three-month audition basically to prove to him before January that it's worth signing a new contract is is, is my hunch. Um, yeah. And I, I just think everyone just needs to shut up about it. It's just so boring. I know, mate, it is. And it's, it's, it, it, this is why I, I don't... It's really difficult to content create during the preseason as well because hmm. there's not often that much to chat about. I mean, Harry Kane today, I think, is... He's on that. Um, he's uh, doing hot the uh, the Hot Wings uh, thing interview, which is I, f- I f- forget the name of the website, but it's, it's a pretty decent thing to watch. Um, celebrities, uh, famous people suffer. A uh, very spicy chicken. Um, so that should be interesting. Um, quite a contrast between that video and the one that Deli Ali put out. Hmm. Um, but there, there you go. You know, life is. Uh, Life is a comedy of sorts, a dark comedy. But anyway, yeah, you're right. I don't mean to dig up like Ali Gold with this, but you can half imagine at seven o'clock tonight there'll be an article on Football London with like, here's every word that Harry Kane said on the Hot Ones Challenge. And it's just, no one cares. Whatever's going to happen is going to happen at this Mm. stage. And there's, you know, you put Sky Sports News on at any time. And the first thing will be, well, here's an update on the Harry Kane situation. Nothing's happened. Yeah, Nothing's I have this conversation. I have this conversation with my dad because he, he, I know that he has the TV on all day, and I'm saying, Dad, there's literally four minutes of footage, uh, four four minutes of news, and it's just repeated. Four minutes of football news, and it's just they expand it, and then repeat it every ten minutes. Like you're not watching anything here. It doesn't mean anything. It's just it's just this necessity to to put out content for the sake of putting it out. You know, it'd be like me recording six-hour podcasts every single day. Hmm. I mean, that is nightmarish, really, thinking about that. Um, probably not worse for people listening to six hours of me. Um, I think one hour is probably enough. Um, let, let's finish up. Um, what we're going to do, we, I just want to touch on the, the, the ticket price thing as well, mate. Um so I think it's important to talk about that. And then what we'll do is uh, on the Patreon only part of the con- um, the podcast, we're going to slightly more details around the, the, the ticket pricing because I think it, it plays into the whole protest element because I think there is there are really tangible reasons for there to be an organisation or a movement that ties into existing uh, general movements that cover all football clubs around greed and around ticket prices and the rest of it. Uh, Martin Cloak wrote a, a lovely article on the Fighting Cock website. Uh, go and check it out. It kind of covers this topic in terms of the greed around football, ticket pricing, especially with the comparisons to the German model um, and the fact that football clubs and Tottenham don't need to be charging the amount of money that we do charge for tickets. You know, it's the minimal percentage of revenue profit that comes in compared to all the other money that comes in. So uh, let, let, let's let, let's go straight into it, Adam. I mean... I've, re- I've renewed, right? Mm-hmm. You've renewed as well. And it seems that people that do have season tickets are, are getting discounted tickets compared to uh, uh, the general sale. Do you think that based on that, 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 that this is the, the model around the way that the, the, the general sale tickets cost, that they have to be slightly more expensive than the ones that we get in our season ticket? Because we're, we're being rewarded for loyalty. But surely... Surely it's an abuse of everybody's loyalty to have our season tickets at the at the cost that they're at. No doubt they will go up next season, and then compared to the ones that go for, or go on general sale. I mean, how on earth 
do you expect people in this day and age to afford to go to football consistently? And how on earth do you get young kids to go to football when their entire families are being priced out of the experience? It's um, it's a really interesting point because there's been so much Enoch out stuff over the last year or couple of years that's really come to a head. Um, but Spurs fans in general have been quite good at protesting singular issues that they've not been happy with. So Stratford and the Super League, even to a point like when Gattuso was mooted, um, there was a singular issue that a lot of people got behind and... I'm not saying that the fans necessarily did anything about it, but it mobilised people in a way that the purple and gold stuff clearly doesn't at this stage. Um, and ticket price is one of those things that I think will will jump people into a bit of action because it is a very easy individual thing to come together and say, this just is not right. Um, I think in general, the idea that day trippers fund fund a way to subsidise the loyal fans that go every week, I think is, is generally fairly sound policy. But the problem with football is that there's a massive gap of people in the middle that are not day trippers, but don't have season tickets and want to go to seven, eight, nine games a year. And those are the ones that are being squeezed out. And it all just seems so short-sighted. And there must be a better way for this, for, for, you know, for this to be done. Um, like, I don't know, and I'm really just spitballing, but you know, if you're a member at the start of the season and you pay thirty quid for a membership, should you not be able to get the season ticket face value price on general sale? Yeah, Do you know what I mean, like, I'm yeah. just, just because then if you're going to seven, eight, nine games a year, you're getting a fair value on the price. When someone coming over from Korea who wants to see Sun for the first time doesn't mind paying a bit more, and I, you know, when I go to the NFL every year. I pay $300, $350 for my ticket because I know that I'm going for a one-off thing a year. It's a special occasion. Yes. Yeah, exactly. I don't mind paying through the nose for it, but it's the people that want to go six, seven times a year that I feel just being squeezed out. And that, that for me, is worrying for, for the future of, of fandom at the club because you're not going to fill the stadium 20 times a year with 60,000 day trippers. There's just not that many people. Yeah, I, I, I don't get it. I don't, I don't get a lot of things that Tottenham do. To be fair, I think that's that's the general consensus of of, uh, of the fan base. I mean, have you have you had any further thoughts? I don't know if I spoke if it was if it was with you or Dan around the fan advisory board. Uh, obviously, people have been voted in. Um, I think Martin Cloak and Cat uh, as well, who are both former members of, of the trust, said something about an um, NDA. That they would need to sign, not those two, the the the, the fab uh, members uh, that have been voted in. It feels almost like this is just a process that's going to be ineffectual. I don't mean that in in any way to be disrespectful to the people that have been voted in, who are going to obviously work hard with the club. You would hope, but I just feel that the club have already protected themselves from it being anything other than a um, a. a a showcase for them listening, but that doesn't mean there's an influence off the off the back of that. Because sitting around the table and having a chat and and and, and jotting down minutes and having an agenda, it doesn't. What does that equate to at the end of the day? It doesn't. Doesn't really. You know, you're you're releasing a press a press release. You 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 you, and it's the same thing. Not to be critical of the trust, but they were only doing what they were able to do because Spurs just just allowed them to to, to, to have a, a seat at the table, right? They, they don't have to. 
as a privately owned company. Um, they don't have to entertain any of us, but they, they almost do it for this kind of political reason. But does it have an impact? And, and, and I think, I guess where I'm leading this to is that we can sit here and talk about this for hours and we can talk about how we can protest and the rest of it. But we're still going to go to games, right? And, you know, someone had to dig at me. Um, they said something like, well, at least you're going to make a profit this season. I was like, what? <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about? And it, it, I didn't I didn't really, I didn't reply to this guy. But later on, I realized, oh, he, what you're saying is I'm going to be able to sell my season tickets for a profit. So I'm, I'm as bad as the club, basically. And I'm like, <laughs> mate, you, you, I go to every game. And if I can't go to a game, it's because of, a family reason and if it's and if it's for a family reason i put the, the the ticket on the on on you know on the exchange someone picks it up or, or someone that i know that needs a ticket i don't i don't charge a penny over what the cost of the ticket is according to the football club and people are happy to pay that because i, I don't want my seat to go to waste i'm not making a profit out of it and i'm no different to 55 thousand other Spurs fans like you, you're saying you're the oh, you're the problem mate then you're saying every single person in that stadium every single week that's supporting the football club is a problem because we're all going to the games we're not boycotting the games do you get what I'm saying so mm-hmm. it's it, it's a really it's a difficult position we've been put in by the football club and it's and they, it's a PR point but the whole point of it is they know they're putting us in this position yeah, that yeah, we yeah, can't yeah. win yeah. It's horrible, and it, it's it's um, it's evil, to be honest. What they do. Right. Let, let's take this into the Patreon section. So, everyone listening, thank you for doing so. Thank you for downloading. Thank you for supporting. If you want a bit of extra content, uh, spooky in purgatory on Patreon dot com, and you can listen to the rest of this podcast with me and Adam. Adam, say goodbye to uh, to, to everyone momentarily. Thank you very much. I'm always so bad at this. Do you know what? I, I've got to stop doing it. I've just got. I, I should just cut it off at this point. I should get like a stock phrase or something. Something that you know, people, the, the, the masses can remember me by. But I'm not working <laughs> on it. Okay. Right. Okay. Later's. <laughs>